You're listening to the Immaculate Podcast with Tim McMaster, Ed Bachet, and Mark Caboli. Coach, I want to thank you for all you've done for the game, for all you're going to do for the game. And I want to welcome you to Canton, Ohio, where your bronze, hey! your legacy. Hey! Is How about that, Bill? Welcome into another edition of the Immaculate Podcast. Tim McMaster here along with Ed Bouchette and Mark Caboli. That's right. It's the offseason, which means both guys have to uh, put up with me here during the week on the Immaculate Podcast. You heard off the top the sound of Bill Cower getting the surprise that he is headed to Canton as a new member of the Hall of Fame. We're going to get into that. That's going to be the majority of this podcast, talking about Cower and the Hall of Fame and all of that. We'll talk about about Donnie Shell as well. The news on him coming out on Wednesday. So we'll discuss Donnie Shell in general um, and and we'll get on to the, the Steelers overall. So I guess, first of all, guys, thanks for coming on together. Um, this will kind of be the plan when we can do it in the off season. And I'm excited to get kind of both of your perspectives um, on the topics we're going to get into. Um, Ed, I'll start with you on the cower thing. Um, because of the way it went down, and it was pretty cool. And you being the Hall of Famer yourself um, on the writer side, what did you think of the way um, they kind of broke away from the norm and the tradition and surprised Bill Cower on the set at CBS? Um, what did you think? Well, Tim, it's a different class this year. It's called a centennial class, and uh, they voted on it last week. They were going to announce it. Uh, Wednesday morning. I don't know when you're listening to this podcast. We're recording on Tuesday. Uh, they were going to announce a whole class Wednesday morning. But when they realized their two coaches were each on national television over the weekend, what better way than to break with the norm and uh, do it? And it certainly was received, I think, uh, for the most part, pretty well how they did it. Um, I was surprised, Tim, for this reason. Not that I don't think Bill Cower deserves it, or Jimmy Johnson deserves it. But Bill, in particular, has not only never been among the 15 finalists in the regular voting, he's never made the semifinal 25. Now, Jimmy Johnson has. He was a, he was a finalist. Um, so in that respect, I was surprised. But they did have a different panel voting for this team, and I think that's one of the reasons, you know, he shook up the voters. Uh, I wasn't part of this one. Um and uh, lo and behold, he's a Hall of Famer. Mark, is he worthy of being a Hall of Famer? Obviously, most of the people listening to this podcast, I would think, are, are strongly believe that he is. What do you think? Yeah, I, I actually think he he does, he is. I mean, he had a a great run there for what twelve, thirteen years, and it couldn't have been easy for him to take over for a guy like Chuck Noll, thirty four years old, coming back to his hometown. And he had instant success too to turn around a an organization that had a couple pretty you know a couple bad years you know in a span of probably five or six years they weren't very good there other than maybe a year or two they snuck into the playoffs and and to be able to put together a team like he did in those like I said those first five or six years the AFC title games now I'm sure that a lot of people will be like saying look at all the AFC championship games he got to and they underachieved but the bottom line was he was pretty dominant over that decade of the 90s so I think so and I think that's what that centennial class is is for I mean it's it's to clean it up to make sure that the guys who would never probably get in on a regular basis 
knowing that there is a backlog of players given and coaches and, and guys like that to give them an opportunity to get in. I'm sure there's a debate about other coaches like Don Coriel and Tom Flores and, and guys like that, but I, I can't see. Um, and another thing is about Cower is, I mean, he retired at an early age. He could have came back for another you know, five, ten years and really padded that resume as well. So when you take that onto account, I think he's worthy. Is he Hall of Fame? Is he one of the greatest of all time? No, but I think he's deserving enough to be in the Hall of Fame. You know, and Mark you mentioned that. Go ahead, Ed. Uh, I covered Chuck Knoll. Uh, my first year covering the Steelers for the Pittsburgh Post Gazette was 85. And that was the first year they really went on a run of not making the playoffs. He in his final seven seasons, a Hall of Fame great coach, his teams made the playoffs just once in his final seven years. Bill Cower took over for him in '92, made the playoffs in his first six years, tying Paul Brown's record um, of of you know a first time coach getting in the playoffs the first six years, and uh, you know during his time he had 15 years. Six AFC Championship games, two Super Bowls, and he won one. Uh, his 62.3 winning percentage is best among uh, all the coaches who weren't in the Hall of Fame, who coached at least 10 years, except for one. And that guy deserves, I think, a future Hall of Fame. It's George Seifert, who won two Super Bowls. You know, and now Bill Cowher, you talked about those six years, Ed, and in the five of those years, he won at least 10 games as well. I mean, if you take it in the playoffs, he won at least 10 games in, in, in his first six seasons as well. And like you said, when you follow a guy like like Chuck Nolan had so much success and you come off right off the bat and have 11, 9, 12, 11, 10, 10, 10 11 win seasons, that's pretty impressive. And you know what, Mark? He didn't have um, Terry Bradshaw quarterback either. He did have Neil O'Donnell, who was a functional, decent quarterback who made the Pro Bowl once. But then Neil left as a free agent after that Super Bowl season in 95. He goes with Mike Tomzak and they win, you know, they make the playoffs. The next year he goes with Cordell Stewart and they're in the AFC title game. So, um, you know, uh, until he came along with Ben in his final three years, he did not have a, a, you know, what you might consider a great quarterback. Yeah, and you think of Hall of Fame coaches and, you know, Jimmy Johnson, who also uh, similar treatment this week, getting surprised, obviously. He had Aikman. Uh, Bill Walsh had Montana. Belichick right now has Brady. There's all these combinations of Hall of Fame-type coaches that had the great Hall of Fame quarterback, and Coward didn't have that. He made the playoffs 10 times in 15 seasons despite going through all those different quarterbacks and, and juggling the quarterbacks. In a lot of ways, though, it seems like, Mark, that was kind of – I'm not having that star quarterback kind of became part of the personality of those teams in the Cowher years, didn't it? That they were kind of frequently considered the underdogs and they were a scrappy team and a true team. And it seemed like he really was able to embrace that and, and sell that to the teams. You know, he fed into exactly what this town is all about and how this town likes to play football as well. Defense and running the ball. I mean, that's all we hear about now, you know, <laughs> 13 years after Cower is gone, and that's how he won a lot of his games. I mean, they had some very, very good defenses in the early 90s. They had the Blitzburg defense. They had the, um, what is that, they had the big nasty defense. They had Jerome <laughs> Bettis. They had guys like that that can run the ball. Willie Parker, 
And uh, I did look up a stat last yesterday, and it was always my favorite stat, and I put it out on Twitter, was when the Steelers were up by 11-plus points in the Cower era, <laughs> they went 108-1-1, which means to me it's is amazing. once they went up 10 points, all they did was grind the ball out, and I think that really endeared him to this town of how they like to play their football. And like I said, you still hear that today, and that's probably why the reason why a lot of them, well, maybe because they played the Baltimore Ravens, but why the people around here like the Titans right now because they play similar football to how the Steelers did under Cower. He should have been yeah. coaching the Texans Sunday in Kansas City. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they would have. Uh, they would have been in much better shape. Um, you mentioned he stepped away at forty nine. It kind of reminds me of it's kind of like the Sandy Koufax of NFL head coaches. Koufax, the the shorter season for a major league pitcher, but was just spectacular throughout it and a Hall of Famer. Um, and and um, you know, Cowher never got like you said those tack on wins late in the in his career, but he won 149 you know, games in those 15 seasons, which is you know just one win af- um, beneath actually averaging 10 wins a season, which is which is really impressive. Um, and you think about it, Ed, this this franchise, the Steelers, can now say that they were coached by a Hall of Famer from 1969 to 2006. That's amazing. Yeah. It is amazing, and I'll tell you why Bill Cower stepped away, Tim, um, and his agent, uh, when it happened, the day he was, uh, he announced his re- resignation slash retirement, it's turned into an, a retirement, his agent told me, he said, this didn't have to happen. Well, yes, it did. I'll tell you why. Bill Cower uh, and his wife Kay were from North Carolina State. His wife Kay at the time, was um is an is a, was a native of North Carolina and they they wanted to go back and find a retirement home uh, in Raleigh a piece of property if you will instead of a piece of property they found the house they loved they bought it and instead of waiting until retirement Kay decided we're going back there now and she moved basically she moved with her three daughters to North Carolina to Raleigh and Bill um. Bill was put on the spot, and he wanted to try to coach the Steelers while living in Raleigh, you know, uh, during the season, have a place here. But uh, he would be down there most in the offseason. And it, 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 they just found that untenable. Um, and uh, Bill just decided, well, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hang it up and go with my family. And that's what he did. And, of course, then he goes into TV where he's made quite a career for himself as well. Um, actually, this is a question that I should know the answer to, Ed, but – um, does that weigh at all? The the football Hall of Fame is just what you did in the game, right? The the broadcasting part doesn't weigh on it at all. Uh, it does. It oh, it doesn't? does? Well, no, no, no. It doesn't, right. but it does. In fact, <laughs> I, gotcha. I, I mentioned this to Heinz Ward. Uh, I said, Heinz, if, if, if you want to get in the Hall of Fame, because Heinz uh, has not made it past the 25 semifinalists, I said, get on TV. Keep your uh, profile up there. Uh, right. Yeah, you know, it. maybe it's a coincidence that Jimmy Johnson and Bill Cowher both went in this year, but both have high profiles around the league. Dan Deardorff was the same way. John Madden, who won one Super Bowl, was the same way. Uh, and plus he had the Madden game, you know. Um, and believe me, that Madden game was cited in the room, uh, uh, when I say the room, the voting room, uh, during a debate on Madden as how that enhanced his candidacy. I didn't think it should have been. 
but um, it did. And David Baker, when he when he congratulated Bill Cowher and gave him the news, said, for what you've done for the game of football and what you will continue to do, which really, Mark, is kind of referencing the fact that he's on television and continuing to, I guess, promote the sport, right? Even though it's not technically part of it, um, the guy who's making that announcement says to him for what you're going to continue to do. So it, it, they're not hiding the fact that being on TV certainly doesn't hurt you. Yeah, and it doesn't hurt that it's, he is a high-profile guy that, that then brings a little bit more notoriety to the Hall of Fame. And, you know, maybe people will go and make the road trip to Canton and go check him out because they know Bill Cowher. They know what he looks like. They, they, they see him on TV. So I'm sure that has uh, something to do with it as well. So, uh, I mean, I guess I'm okay with that as long as you keep it – you know, pretty consistent. If that's going to be part of your uh, plan moving forward, if if this does be a part of it, I don't know if I truly agree with you know TV being a part of a the legacy of of a head coach. I can see John Madden being maybe uh, a little bit different because that video game was just ingrained in people's. It's a part of their life for so many years now, and he really did change. Even I don't know how much he really had to do with it, but at least his name <laughs> on the game had a lot to do with it. So uh, I know one thing when we talk about the Hall of Fame, I know one thing for sure Ed wants more kickers and punters in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> That's definitely. I would, I would ban them. <laughs> Unless they want to have a wing for kickers, punters, and let's not forget Mark. This is part of the game. I long know what you're snappers. Gonna, oh, I thought you were going to say camera guys. Long, well, camera guys, they've already opened the door for that. Steve Sable and Ed Sable. Uh, speaking of, you know, TV and, and movies and all of that, Bill Cowher actually used a movie in his congratulations for Jimmy Johnson because they were both uh, together in a scene in Adam Sandler's The Waterboy. So he showed the picture of that when he when he thanked Jimmy Johnson on Twitter. Um all right, so we know he was a great coach. Obviously, he motivated teams that didn't have that franchise quarterback, and he, he gets to the two Super Bowls, wins one of them. How about um, your experience covering him, Ed? What was Bill Cower like to cover as a reporter in Pittsburgh? Well, he was a ball of explosive energy, Tim. Uh, he uh, he came in like a ball of fire. Uh, you know, he uh, stuck that jaw out. He, he would yell at people, you know, uh, he didn't hold back. And I've, I've felt the wrath, believe me, uh, during my time covering him. Uh, he never, uh, I don't think he ever held a grudge, though. He might holler at you one day and say hello the next, and uh, I kind of always appreciated that. But um, he was front and center. I remember his last year in 06, um People complaining that he wasn't a fireball on the sidelines like he normally was because he, as a coach, was almost like a special teams coach, which he was in Cleveland. He went, he would run up and down the sidelines. Well, he was very fiery on the sidelines, and it was so 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 uh, he was so excitable on the sidelines that in '06 when he wasn't, people took took note of it. I, I don't know if you remember when he ran out uh, <laughs> halftime of a game against Minnesota at home. Uh, there was uh, 12 men on the field, uh, and uh, or 11 men on the field, and they were called for 12 men on the field. I forget which. And he stuck 
uh, one of those Polaroid that they used to take, those Polaroid pictures of that alignment in the ref's pocket to show him yeah, I that, uh, that. Yep. You know, that, that it shouldn't have been a penalty <laughs> or should have been a penalty. I can't remember which way it went. I believe it would happen. I believe what happened was uh, Minnesota got another kick opportunity to kick a field goal right before halftime because they said that there was too many too many men on the field. My favorite was in '97 when he tried to punch the Jaguars player who just intercepted the ball to seal the win for him. He came out onto the field and pretended like he was going to hit. He what cocked was his, his arm. Chris Hudson, I believe, on Monday Night yep. Football. That that was one of my cocked, favorites. Cocked his arm back. As if he was going to do it, and then something took hold. He goes, "I better not do this." We'd probably be talking about him in a different light if, uh, if oh, he hadn't he had that moment of clarity. Would be like Woody. Woody <laughs> would like Mike Tomlin, Clemson player. It'd be like like Tomlin Woody stepping Hayes. out onto the field against Baltimore, right? We'd... <laughs> imagine, yeah, imagine but... Tomlin uh, Coward trying to hit Chris Hudson in '97, and there was social media around. Oh my. Wow. Uh, so the Steelers have done something. they've done an amazing job, obviously, going from Noel to Cower and now Tomlin. Um, Mark, it seems like they've always been able to find the right guy for the era. Is that fair to say? I mean, Noel obviously there for 22 years, but then when he left, Cower seemed like the right guy for that time in the NFL. And now Tomlin seems like while he is a little bit old school, I think he fits best with today's player and today's athlete and the Steelers have in their hiring. And, and that's why they've only had three coaches since 1969. They've done an amazing job of finding the guy that, that fits for a long period of time within that era. Yeah. They, they identify the guy they want, then they hire him, but you have to give the you know, the front office, the organ, the owner credit for giving them the opportunity to go through some bad times. I mean, right. Okay, Cower Cower had those first six years that were great. Then he had two or three sub five hundred years. Oh three went six and ten. I mean, it's not like if that was some other owner, maybe they move on. Same with Mike Tomlin. So that's the one value that you know the Rooneys have is they're not going to make any rash decision, and, and it gives these guys the stability to coach how they want, how they feel fit. And uh, I think that's – I know a lot of other teams try to do that, but they can't. I'm quite sure that that's what David Tepper wants to do in Carolina. who would love to have Matt Roll there for 20 years and follow that same path, but it's not that easy. I mean, if you're coming into this past season, how many people want to get rid of Mike Tomlin? Many of them. Many people want to get rid of Mike Tomlin right now, and it's just not going to happen because it's not how the organization – goes about their business and I think that it's been a proven winner since what 50 years now so uh, I think that uh, that has a long has a big part of the success of all three of those coaches to be honest and you you know Mark and Tim uh, as I mentioned I went through Chuck Knoll uh, his last seven years and six of them were out of the playoffs five six seven eight nine one six five or six I'm sorry anyway they wanted Fans wanted him fired long before social media. Same with Bill Cower. You mentioned six and ten in '03. He was six and ten in uh, was it '98 or '99? I forget which one. Um, one was seven and nine. One was six and ten. There was a a website started firecower.com, um, <laughs> and he's in the Hall of Fame now. So you're right. I mean, the the fans uh, and now with social media and everything, it's it's gotten ridiculous. But nevertheless. Uh, uh, the, the, the Roonies, even though Dan isn't around anymore, 
are not going to, I don't think, give in to that kind of pressure. Is there a, um, I mean, you mentioned a couple of the cower stories that, that people have seen in video. And is there a cower story that maybe people are less familiar with that kind of sums him up? Uh, well, I don't know if we could say him on air. <laughs> well, this is my favorite. Uh, it was a private one. Um, it's a little long. I'll try and hurry it up. 92, Barry Foster set the team record. It still holds 1,690 yards rushing. 93, he came down with an ankle injury and was every week missing, missing, missing. And before we knew about high ankle sprains, all we knew was he had an ankle sprain. Um, then one day they're going to play in Miami on a Monday night and Barry Foster practices all week and uh, is listed as probable um, and then all of a sudden doesn't play in the game. So uh, the following week I'm in Pittsburgh and I wrote something about it, how they didn't how they didn't reveal he he was hurt again and wasn't going to play and so the, the following week they're going to play I believe it was Houston their rivals and on Wednesday I'm passing Bill Cowher at Three River Stadium in their offices their old offices in the hallway he's going one way I'm going the other and he's smiling and he says uh, back in '93 it's the last year they were negotiating contracts during the season he says Ed he says we got a big game this week how about not writing about money this week. <laughs> because he thought that was a distraction, which it probably was. And I said to Bill, I said, Bill, I'll, I'll make you a deal. I won't write about money if you give me accurate injury information. <laughs> well, the smoke came out of his ears. <laughs> the jaw pouted out. We're in the middle of the Steelers' offices. One way to coaches, the other way, Dan Rooney and all the executives. And he is screaming at me. I mean, spittle coming out and everything. Uh, and uh, it seemed like it went on for 15 minutes it was probably two minutes you know but some of the coaches told me they had to close their doors because they couldn't hear during meetings and stuff and uh but after that we were fine you know until the next one came along but yeah that that was one of my favorites mark you covered him a little bit less but obviously those those last few years but do you have one yeah you know uh, yeah i did cover probably what three or four years it wasn't you know, near the end of his career, but I, I don't have any personal experiences. I know I've heard some from through some other people of him, like Ed said, didn't really enjoy what you wrote, so he'd call you in the office and lecture you. I've heard a number of those types of stories, but you know, the only thing I really remember was probably the Super Bowl run of '05 and just how, you know, just how he approached that type of run, knowing that that was probably going to be you know, his only, his, his best legitimate chance and how he uh, went about uh, coaching the team there and, and some of the interactions he had with his players as well. But nothing quite personal with him there that I can can share. But I could tell you one thing, being a younger reporter back in in those days, he was intimidating. I can, I don't know how, yeah. would, how I would have reacted if, He's spitting on me like he did you, Ed. But uh, <laughs> especially when I was like, you know, a couple years into the beat, he was very, very an, an intimidating uh, figure in, in media and scrums and, and press conferences. So, but I think that was the allure to a lot of him outside of the building and a lot of the fans being a, you know, the hard, tough guy who grew up, you know, went to Carlinton High School. You know what, uh, Tim and, and, and Mark, you, I, after all that, contentiousness and it wasn't always like that 
when I covered them. I can get them on the phone anytime right now um, and have for The Athletic. You know, I wrote about him, how he helped um, help recoup Gabby Burnett for Warner Music uh, yep. and his buddy John Esposito there. I wrote about why he quit, what I just told you earlier, why he quit coaching. He, he opened up to me about that. Um, I texted him the other day when he made it. He texted me back. Uh, thanking me, um, and uh, uh, you know it's funny after after all that, uh, you know, uh, like I said, he doesn't hold he didn't hold a grudge. Yeah, nor uh, did I. You, you're right. I was gonna say, and neither <laughs> did you, Ed, because uh, you know there is a there's a back and forth there, give and take. So um, outstanding stuff from you guys as far as uh, Bill Cower goes, and hey, this could be a big year as far as the Steelers go in the Hall of Fame. Canton, there's already plenty of gold and black there, obviously already. Um, but the the normal annual Hall of Fame voting is later on at the Super Bowl. Uh, Troy Palomalo up for that. Alan Fanica up for that. So there's possibilities. And then Donnie Shell is a possibility for this team. The announcement coming out Wednesday. Um, so we're recording this beforehand. So we don't know if he's going to get in or not. But should he, Ed, when you look at, you mentioned it, this, this voting trying to kind of clean up the mess and, and get guys in that have been overlooked. Should Donnie Shell be one of those guys? Yes, he should. Uh, I'd still think L.C. Greenwood should too, but uh, Donnie has now passed L.C. Greenwood. And, you know, there were 20 finalists uh, for this uh, um, uh, senior uh, special class, which is going to name 10. And like you said, if those are – some people may already know that who are listening to this after Wednesday morning. Um, but I think he's making it. I, I really do. From what I hear, uh, he had a lot of support uh, in the room of discussion with that uh, blue ribbon panel. Uh, he had fifty-one, I think, fifty-one interceptions, more than anybody at strong safety ever. Um, so I think he's going to go in. And Tim, the guy who's going to be hurt, I think, by this all is Alan Fanica, uh, because Troy Polamalu and he are both finalists. You already have Cower. If Shell goes in, Troy Polamalu, people are going to say we're overdosed on Steelers, and yeah. I think they'll vote for somebody else, maybe Steve Hutchinson at guard. You Which didn't cover good. Donnie Shell, Mark, but you, uh, I guess you, you watched him play there growing up in the area, I think, right? So what do you remember about him as a player? Well, I just know that uh, you know a guy that was an undrafted guy to be able to come in, and that is that. I mean, he came in right during their their peak, right during their run. You know, 74, 75, uh, you know, mid-70s. And he was just a – I just remember him from being the the hard-hitting safety as well. The guy would knock your block off. And, and he's a guy that, uh, you know, I he retired when I was like 12 or 13. So I don't know – I don't think I've ever watched him live. I might have watched him live once or twice. But – and I agree with Ed with Alan Fanick. You want me to go on a uh, – old diatribe here for 10 minutes talking about how unfair your guy, it is right? for him yeah. not being in the Hall of Fame and potentially not making it. He's a guy that was just an absolute superstar of the Steelers teams from the time, day he was drafted in, what, 98 until the day he left here uh, year after Tomlin got here. I mean, every I, I all I have to say about – there's two things about Alan Fennick that always stuck out to me was number one in 03 when they were six and ten. The guy the Steelers were in really bad shape offensive line wise, and uh they asked him to move the tackle. He had an all pro guard 
moving to tackle just to benefit a garbage team at six and ten, and that's what he did, and that's probably what's holding him out of the the some of the the Hall of Fame right now because of he did not make All Pro that 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 season because he moved to tackle, and every time you see that Jerome Bettis highlight of, of you know oh two oh three oh four, you just watch every highlight of Jerome Bettis, and I'm quite sure you'll see number sixty six leading the way. He was just an absolute dominant offensive lineman. I think it is a shame. I think it's a shame that they look at who somebody plays for and says there's too many of this, too many of that. Oh well, you know, that that's that's the way it goes. And if uh there were other teams like that, you would put them in as well. So I think Fanica should go in. The only thing I'm a little disappointed in is if there is a Hall of Fame game and the Steelers are invited to it because i hate the hall of fame game we start <laughs> camp a week early it was going to be a week later this year because the season's starting a little later and it absolutely ruins our summer right ed <laughs> i hate it's all it. about us mark it's plus, all about us. plus i don't think any team <laughs> who has ever played in a hall of fame game has even made it to the super bowl let alone win it but the but, coaches love it but if you if you trade off the week. hall of fame game for potentially a trip to mexico city i'll take that though <laughs> you know, you know yeah. uh, a little more about Allen. Uh, he made second team All Pro that year, Mark, in the middle of all his All Pro first team All Pro runs. And I pointed that out in our meetings for the Hall of Fame. If he was a seven time All Pro guy, you guys had had him in already. But he yeah. really should be a seven time All Pro guy. And um, uh, you know, uh, he, he missed one game in his entire career. For an injury, he missed one other because when when um, Bill Cowher rested guys in that 16th game that after they had locked up a seed, so uh, that's pretty incredible in itself. And one more thing about Donnie Shell, he helped. Uh, I think he helped end Earl Campbell's career with a big hit, a Hall of Fame running back in Houston. Uh, his nickname, uh, Donnie Shell's, was the Torpedo. <laughs> There you go, which doesn't wouldn't wouldn't bode well for you these days with all the the penalty rules for torpedo. But um, yeah, good stuff, get, great stuff thrown, overall. Get thrown out for uh, targeting now, huh? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you enjoyed the conversation about mostly Bill Cowher and the Hall of Fame. Obviously, the the more Hall of Fame news coming out here over the next couple of weeks, and we'll dive even more into this stuff as we go and get closer to the Hall of Fame in in, in uh, the summer when when the guys go in as well. So um, if you enjoyed this, definitely subscribe to the podcast. Give us a, a rating, five-star rating, a review. Uh, you know, Rate us if you like us. Don't rate us if you don't so much, but give a review either way. Helps us out along the way. Um, and, of course, you can save 40% off on a subscription to The Athletic if you go to theathletic.com slash the Immaculate Podcast. Lots of stuff going on on the site and app this week. Of course, all the crazy stuff in the baseball universe, MLB handing down unprecedented penalties against the Astros, Ken Rosenthal and Evan Drellich of The Athletic, all over that stuff. Um, so plenty of stuff to, to enjoy here on The Athletic. Go to theathletic.com slash the Immaculate Podcast for 40% off. Follow Ed on Twitter. He's at Ed Bouchette. Mark's there at Mark Caboli. I'm at Tim M. McMaster. Thanks to Marissa Morris, as always, for doing the producing. We'll talk to you again next time. <laughs> 